Welcome to the Too Long Didn't Read Preaching Edition podcast. I'm Joe Brodosevich, pastor of Manchester Baptist Church in Manchester, Illinois. And with me is Jeremy Bird, pastor of Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Illinois. On this podcast, we discuss what we preached this week. You're going to get two summaries of uh, our sermons and a peek behind the scenes at what we're thinking about as we preach. Thanks for joining us. Um, so, okay, Jeremy, I have a question for you before we start off with our sermons. It's super deep. Sure. Question. Would you, this is not original to me, but would you rather fight a chicken every time you got in the car or have a random sword fight with an orangutan once a year? Oh, I think I'd go with the chicken because I've dealt with chickens. Yeah. I That's right. You're a farm boy. Yeah. I know how to handle a chicken. I don't know if I could, I don't know if I orangutan what about you I'm, I'm curious now oh i'm chicken all the way i i just told my wife i was like imagine being in a truck stop bathroom and a orangutan with a sword comes in the room and so i don't want to spend the entire year afraid of an attack um <laughs> <laughs> i just rather know to expect hey there's a chicken in the car get ready for it so uh, <laughs> i've been debating that question uh all day with people and with my kids and my kids are trying to figure that out so I thought I would throw that at you. <laughs> soft. So what was your sermon on this week, Jerry? So this week we continued uh, walking through Galatians. We're in Galatians three nineteen through 26, where um, Paul finally kind of comes around and he says, okay, here's the reason we have the law. And I just find that super helpful because there's so many people that wonder about, uh, well, you know, Jesus what does it have to do with the law? And uh, and so the way I approach that this week is he, he kind of asks two rhetorical questions that he then breaks down. So the first one is, you know, why then was the law given? And he says, you know, there's there's so much here. He says it was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. Uh, and so uh, the way I kind of broke that down was, you know, number one, why was the law given? Well, because of our transgressions. And, you know, there are scholars that debate what exactly does it mean for uh, for Paul to say for the sake of transgression. But I think everybody pretty much agrees that what he's doing is he's saying that the law helps us define and identify what God's expectations are. And so when we transgress, uh, I found a, a really helpful definition that says transgressions means a stepping aside from the right track. And so when he shows us the right track, then every time we break the law, it's just showing us how we've stepped aside from from God's way. Um, so he, he kind of addresses it like that. He says, you know, there's a powerful word there in that until, you know, that it wasn't forever, but it was until there was a there was a timing aspect. of There was a transitional aspect of it that the uh, you know, that the seed, the son who was promised was going to come and he was going to fulfill the law. And uh, and then he goes into this. uh this this great kind of conversation about mediators and you know what does that mean i really wrestled with that this week joe uh because you know it says um the law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator now a mediator is not just for one person alone but god is one and so this week in researching that uh i learned and i didn't know this but um in the jewish tradition uh, they they really pick up on some details like in Deuteronomy 33 and Acts 7 and Hebrews that talk about the angels being part of the giving of the law. Um, and so I had never really picked up on that before. And so 
what Paul is doing is he's saying, yeah, listen, it's great that Moses is up on the mountain and uh, and God and his angels are, are there and there's lightning and there's thunder. And Moses comes down the mountain and he's the mediator between God and man saying, this is what this is what uh, what God wants from you. But he's saying, you know, Jesus is much better than Moses. I mean, that's that's really what he's getting at here. And, and as I was preparing for this this week, I thought. Man, this go this is going right along with what Joe's been preaching. This this is I mean it's it's amazing how we're in two different uh parts of the Bible and yet there those themes are just weaving together so seamlessly there. Um so yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I I, I enjoyed preparing for this week, uh, having to think through it, you know, and how toward toward the end there 21 through 26 what he's doing is he's saying, well, the law isn't contrary to the promise because what the law does is it points to the promise and then it preserves us for the promise. And then it's, it's surpassed by the promise. One of the, one of the interesting, um, one of the interesting things there is I preach from Joe, I don't know what translation you preach from. I preach from the Christian standard Bible. Um, we, we just use it. Um, we can get all of our lifeway curriculums uh, and everything in CSB. So that's what we use. What do you use? I use NIV. Oh, okay, that's a good one too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we and should talk about why that is. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, so the one of the words they use in the CSB is guardian. Uh, that the law was a guardian. And so, as I was, as I was looking through uh, Timothy George, um, he he points out that the word there is pedag- uh, pedagogon, and I, I I totally butchered that word, but. What it basically means is it's a slave charged with rearing and discipline of children. And so basically what he's saying here is that the law was just in charge of rearing the children until the master came and then Jesus came. Then he's mm. going to take over from there. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought it was uh, I thought it was a pretty good a pretty good study for me personally. And uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot this week in preparation. What about what about yourself? How did how did this week go for you? Actually, I wanted to follow up with that real quick because it's funny oh, that cool. you asked that question and I started taking notes when you were talking there because um, because I was even as I was processing my sermon for this next week, I was kind of processing like, why do we have this? Like, and specifically, why do we have the law in this way? And so you were like talking through that and I was like, yeah, give me more. Like, I like literally wrote <laughs> notes over here. Um, so anyway. What resources are you using right now in your Galatians study? I'm curious. Yeah, so Timothy George, um, his New American Commentary is really good. Um, okay. I, I use that quite a bit. And then my favorite is probably Tom Schreiner's Exegetical Commentary on the New Testament. Uh, that's okay. a Zondervan uh, print, and it's uh, just a it's a fantastic resource on Galatians. Uh, is that that's, the purple one? No, that's the uh, the green uh, green oh, and white. Okay hardback yeah i love these uh this is one of those sets where when i sit down and plan my my preaching for the year if there's uh if there's a book that i haven't preached on in a while i'll make sure that i've got the zondervan exegetical commentary on it um because it's it's just such it's such a great help all of them are are incredibly helpful um it does a lot does a lot of the linguistic help it walks through uh the syntax it walks through the structure of the uh, the the verses and the and the section you're looking at it's just it's it's worth the 40 bucks or 50 bucks you have to pay for a book awesome awesome 
so my sermon, this was on the middle eight plays. So I'm because of my study this time, I've been referring to them more as signs because that's what uh, God tells Moses they are. And there's actually 11 of them, but there's 10 plagues. There's 11 signs. Uh, and this it was from 725 to all the way through chapter 10. And I kind of just explained it. We're biting off a big chunk here, but some of it is because we wanted to get through Exodus 1 through 20 in the fall. But these these plagues also really hang together. You know, God is up mm -hmm. to something. And so there is some dialogue and some explanation of what's going on. But, you know, these things hang together and uh, they're really organized around the word that. Well, actually around two things. Um, it, and both of Marcus are the word that. So he uses the word that five times in those uh, plagues saying, I am doing this so that you may know. So that hmm. you may know. And so he what he wants is Israel and Egypt to know that, that there is only one God. And because the plagues, almost all of them, there are a couple of them, it's a little unclear, but almost all of them seem targeted at one of the gods of Egypt. And so it's like a takedown of their God of medicine and of, of their God of life. You know, it's a takedown of the God of the crops. And, uh, and so each one of these, and so five times it says, I'm doing this so that you may know that there is no God um, except the Lord. Uh, and then he uses also five times the word that saying, I'm, I am calling for Pharaoh to let my people go so that they may worship me. Hmm. And so what God is doing in this is he is, he's wanting everybody to know this fact, but he wants a response to that fact. That fact is worship. And oh, that's good, Joe. Being new here in my, you know, as pastor here, and for just different reasons, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to be fancy here. Like, I'm not going to let me try and create, think of some creative way of preaching this or using different vocabulary or, you know, verbs or something. Like, this passage is calling us to worship the Lord only, being aware that we will constantly be tempted to worship other gods. It wasn't just, well, this, you know, it happens you know, like throughout the Bible, Israel is tempted to go towards other gods. It's what we see in the book of Judges as the people's hearts are turned away towards other gods. And then the kicker is when we get to the New Testament, we get to Colossians 3 that says greed, which is idolatry. So basically for the entire Bible is like saying God wants worship. God deserves worship and God wants worship. And that's what he wants from us. And so this is a passage calling us to be aware of our, our temptation towards other gods, to worship the Lord only, and but to commit ourselves to worship in light of the fact that they were already delivered. And so God's call to them was, I am delivering you so that you will worship. And in, in, in maybe it's just me, but in our kind of American Christian context, it can be really easy to go, like, we should worship God. And like we think that somehow we're going to please God or establish a relationship with God by obeying him enough and worshiping him enough. And Exodus like, is the, the forerunner of Christ pointing us to the fact that God delivers first, creating worshipers. And so that's in a nutshell. That's that was my sermon. Yeah, that'll preach, man. Um, you know, as you were as you were talking about that, one of the things that really kind of just struck me and maybe it's just. Maybe it's just something that I'm wrestling with right now in my preaching. Um, but one of the things I really feel um, 
that I have to I have to kind of push against is that um, consumeristic American mentality that we run into sometimes. And so I, I love the way you phrase that, Joe. Where you that he's he's saving them to be worshippers. So the end goal there is not the milk and honey. The the end goal is the freedom to worship him in response to who he is. Um, and that's I, that's just a, that just captured me when you were talking there. And I love that imagery. I, I love that. Uh, I'm, I just love that thought. I, that's just something you know. I think a lot of times um, it's easy for us to. Like you said, we're trying to make God happy so he gives us something that we want instead of realizing that God is worthy of our worship, whether we get what we want or not. I mean, it's that he just is worthy of worship. Um, that's good stuff, man. That's good stuff. Yeah. And uh, it's it's kind of one of the ways I phrased it was it's really job one. Like it is the thing God is calling us. And we go, yeah, we know the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with our heart. You know, we know the first of the Ten Commandments. And yet the story of the Bible is people that do not worship. And so ultimately, it is only Christ who can make us worshipers uh, and give us new hearts um, to do Man, that. I'm going to have to file that away. And when I preach that, I think my introduction will be those memes that you had one job memes. And show those, you know, and then that'll be the okay. That'll be so, that'll be the setup. Yeah, well, the setup for me, which kind of leads to our my question, which is kind of what are some of those convictions regarding preaching? But the setup for me was the time like I used to run sound for weddings when I was in high school, which is cool. It you know like it's a pretty flexible job. You know, it, it paid really well and different stuff. But there was a time where they weren't using live musicians. They had me pushing play on a CD for the for the bride to walk down the aisle. And you can see where this is going. Like, like, like everything in the wedding hinges on the moment that the music starts and she walks down the aisle. And I'm standing, I'm sitting there in the back, like looking to see what's she going to look like when she comes out. And I look up and the bride's mother looks at me and her eyes bug out and is like, <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh, it's my job. <laughs> and so I missed the one thing I was supposed to be doing. Uh, oh, that's awesome. That's good. And did I ever yeah. tell you the story of yeah. my Caribbean communion? No. Very frankly. Yeah, so I, one of the very first churches I served, they didn't have a, a pianist or an accompanist. So all of our worship was on a CD, you know. And so the uh, the day came that we were going to observe the Lord's Supper. And so they said, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, just pick out some music and play it on CD while we're while we're observing the Lord's Supper. And they said, okay. So I'm at the front of the, of the sanctuary getting ready to, uh, to get started with the, uh, the elements. And they hit play, and it's uh, steel drums <laughs> playing oh. over the PA system. <laughs> I mean, at least it was hymns. It was hymns, but it was, it was hymns played calypso. It was drums and all. <laughs> I mean, what do you do? I just started laughing. I mean, there was nothing you could do. But uh, that's all oh, that, that was that's a great really that was funny. a great intro, Joe. That was a that was a great introduction to that message. I, I like that setup. Yeah, well, so that leads to my question for this, you know, this podcast is like, what are two things that you're trying to do in every sermon? Mm. You know, I've been and thinking can, about this and that's hard to, to, to boil it down to just. 
to just two, you know, because there's so much there. Um, I, I yeah, well, I, and the reason I said two is just because we could talk for several hours on, hey, what are you trying to do? Because, yeah. you know, I mean, I could say, well, here are the nine things that I'm trying to do in every sermon. So I was well, just let, like, let, let me be the chicken in the car and make you go first. Okay. That's okay. So what, what are you two? So the, I mean, I'm going to cheat and say, like, at the end of every sermon, I actually want people to say, thus says the Lord. Like, mm. like to the best of my ability, I want people to go, this is what God's word means. And this is what I, he, he is calling me to. Um, so I'm going to cheat and just say, like, thus says the Lord is really my goal at the end of a sermon is not while well, I was clever or he had a good preacher or something like that. But it's to genuinely go, this is what God says to us. And this is what I'm called to here today. Um, but so the first thing is like, I'm trying in it to raise the tension of the passage and expose the gap in between where I am and where God calls me. Mm -hmm. Um, Brian, I just, before you got on, I looked it up cause I was like, uh, Brian Chapel calls it the fallen condition focus. Other people have yeah. talked about it in other different ways, but if we can say like, why did God give us this? And how do I raise that tension in my, in your life? Um, then the rest of the sermon becomes application. And I'm not trying to apply it. Instead, you and I together are going, this applies to me. For um, and a great example is I once preached a sermon on fear and was trying at the beginning of the sermon to raise the tension of like the things that we're scared of, knowing that we had kids in there who are going to be scared of certain things. And we have people nearing retirement who are worried about their retirement accounts tanking. And, you know, like, I was trying to like, let's, these are the things that we're afraid of. And uh, a, a grandpa told me later that in the, um, he had his grandson on his lap and his grandson was drawing pictures and his grandson draw, drew a picture of a monster. And so in the same moment, the grand and the grandpa looked down and he said, is that the thing you're scared of? And he goes, yes. And so that sermon becomes an application of God's word to the thing that we're afraid of. Or that gap in between what God is calling me to and where I'm at. So the first thing I'm trying to do in every sermon is expose the gap. Where is my need for the gospel? Where am hmm. I? Where's my need for God's word? Um, and then, honestly, in this sermon, I didn't feel like I did a real good job of it. But like, that's my goal is to raise the tension. Yeah. And that's my first one. I'll let you go now. Yeah. So along those lines. Um, one of the things when I was just getting started as a, as a preacher, um, you know, I wanted to be, I wanted to be crafty and clever and, and do all that kind of stuff. And, um, my wife really did a good job of bringing me back home and saying, you know, um, if you have to go to the, the thesaurus to find a word that starts with the letter C and you're the only one in the room that understand what it means, is that really good preaching? So I'm like, yeah, you know, that's a good point. And so I started trying to simplify a lot of what I was doing. And one of the one of the things in my simplification process that I would say this is a conviction of mine. I never want to make a point or draw something out that people can't just look at the text and see. You know what I mean? I mean, that's to be one of the greatest compliments. I had a uh, there's a guy in our church who's a lay preacher. He goes and helps other other congregations. And he came to me uh, after a sermon recently, and he said, you know, I've been wrestling with this text, and I was I was wrestling with how to say this and what to say this. And he said, and you started preaching, and it was right there in the in the Bible. I'm like, that to me is one of my top priorities, is just 
it's the Bible. It's not Jeremy. It's not me being clever. It's it's just what the what the word says. So I think that along with what you along with what your goal is, that would be one of mine. It's just to simplify and streamline things so that when people uh, leave after I've preached, there's no question that I have preached the Bible. And so that would that would probably be my first one. Yeah, so my other one, like I said, I could probably rattle off nine. The other one is that I want I believe every text should point us to Christ and be good news for us. And I, I feel like I didn't say that super well. But ultimately, no, actually, I think you said it very well. I've ultimately every passage of scripture exposed I mean it's well, like you mentioned earlier, every passage of scripture is ultimately a law that we do not fulfill and we need Christ to fulfill it for us and then empower obedience after that. And so the other thing that I'm trying to do in every sermon is to go not like here is a, a list of things that you can do on your own to make God love you. But ultimately, this is what God has called you to do. And you have not done it. But Christ, Second Corinthians 521 uh, became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, which means that we are now in Christ. Uh, we have the Holy Spirit living inside us so that we can obey this and live this out and see this kind of change in our own, in our own lives, in our families, in our blocks. And so one of the things I'm trying to do in every sermon is also point to Christ. Um, I got a, a better, another, this is actually a better way of putting it because this is how I put it in my notes. In every sermon, I want to hold the law of God really high, so high that it feels like it's going to crush us. So that then when I point to Jesus, it feels like it feels like uh, just a sweet relief. Like, yes, Jesus, Jesus is everything. Jesus is wonderful. And Jesus like motivates a kind of obedience I cannot drum up on my own. So no. that's that, that's probably the my second conviction is every sermon. I want to point to Christ in a way of this is how he fulfills this in our, and then empowers us to live a new life out of that. Yeah. What about you? You know, I think, I think you said that very well, Joe, the first time you said it, that, that all scripture is pointing us to Jesus. I mean, that's something, I mean, I don't want to get too technical here, but that's actually a debate going on in hermeneutical circles right now is um, there's been this uh, kind of this, you know, key wording about Christ centered and yeah. Christocentric and all that. And now there's beginning to be some, um, not pushback, but just some conversations about, well, is Christ the center of all of this or is Christ the end of all of this? And so, you know, if you, if you want to impress people around the water cooler after you hear this, you, you would say, what's your, what's your take on Christocentric versus Christ, uh, Christotelic hermeneutics? And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and is that, so, uh, yeah, go is ahead. Is that Karuvala who's leading that? You know, Brian Chappell is is my man. I mean, I love the way Brian Chappell really does. I think Caruvilla's in there, but um, Chappell, I think, I think does a great job of balancing those two worlds because I don't know that it's necessarily an either or situation. I just think it's you got to be careful that you you can't say every verse has Christ as as its center, but I think every verse points to Christ as its end. And and so, but but Christ is there. Um, so I really like the way Chapel handles that. Um, Brian Chapel has a has a great way of handling that, addressing that in his preaching. 
Um, but so I think you did a good job of the way you worded it, man. Look at you. Yeah, I, um, I, uh, I'm familiar with some of those debates that, well, how do you, how should you, and I'm kind of like, I feel like it really depends on a, a text basis. Like this next sermon that I'm preaching next week, I was sitting there like going, okay, how does this fit? Graham Goldsworthy. I'm sure you're familiar with Graham Goldsworthy. How yeah. does this fit in the storyline of scripture? Ultimately finding its fulfillment in Christ, not just, well, I could find a, a, well, Jesus is this and Jesus is that, but all scripture is got its horizon pointing us towards fulfillment in Christ, uh, an accomplishment in Christ. But along with that, I, um, along with that, I remember being the guy with a failed church plant and a failed business sitting in church on Sunday, like angry and hurting and confused and having no idea what's going on and hearing the pastor hold the law of God high and then hold up Christ even higher. Mm -hmm. Uh, just week after week, I'm like, that was such good news and healing for my heart. And then that out of me going into me became healing for my family. And I'm just, I'm like, there is probably somebody here today who I don't know what they're going through. Like our pastor didn't know what I was going through at the moment. Um, and I'm like, I, I want them to hear the sweet joy and the sweet comfort of Christ from this text too. So what's your other uh, conviction? Actually, that's actually that's a really good segue into my other conviction because um, my other conviction is really based in in the response to the sermon in that, um, you know, it's great to challenge people and to challenge people big. But, you know, what I what I think we we fail at sometimes as preachers is we say, OK, now go out and change the world. But we we don't let people know. We don't remind them, hey, the first step toward change world is standing up and putting one foot in front of the other and, and so I, I really try to when i'm when i'm concluding a sermon i really try to bring the fruit low i want low hanging fruit i want somebody uh actually the way i phrase it is what's one thing you can do right now in response to this sermon um and so you know i, I think we talked last time a little bit about um when i'm concluding a sermon i'll I'll talk about maybe the spirit is convincing you to salvation or convicting you of sin or challenging you to take your next step or comforting you with God's promises. But no matter whether you're being convinced, convicted, challenged uh, or comforted, each and every one of us should be changed by the reading of God's word and by the study there. And so then what I'll do after that is I'll say, so how should you personally respond today? Maybe maybe the first step toward response is prayer. And then I even take it further for people who maybe don't even know how to pray in that moment. I'll rephrase that main theme of the sermon or that central that central takeaway that I want them to have as a prayer. And um, and I'll say, maybe you could pray this. And so, um, you know, like uh, I was trying to I was trying to remember this last week's prayer. But uh, basically, I just want to I want to bring it to because, you know, we've all been there. It's, uh, you know, midway through December. And you're thinking about, you know, all of the, the great changes to your life you're going to do in January 1 and how you're going to, you know, you're, you're going to start, uh, you're going to read the Bible from cover to cover every day and the Psalms twice. And you're going to, uh, you know, you're going to lose 60 pounds the first week of January and you're going to go to the gym six hours a day. I mean, we, we all set these lofty goals 
And what we really need more often than these lofty goals is just one small thing that starts us on a trajectory toward greater things. And so, uh, so when I'm concluding a sermon, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to give somebody that one, that one thing, if they get nothing else, where they can say, Hey, here's, um, here's, here's something new. So this last week, you know, I was, I was in Galatians. 319 through 26 and we we're talking about why was the law given and was the law contrary to the promise and so after i, I brought my concluding prayer was uh, you know the first this is how i ended the first step of the journey is an expression of our faith but sometimes it needs a little help why not start by asking for god's help and maybe that prayer would sound something like this father remind me that i am yours by faith in christ and so in, in doing it that way, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to say, OK, if you're not a believer, will you become a believer by faith in Christ? You know, if, if you have fallen in sin and you need to confess, uh, then confess. But remember that yours by that your God's by faith in Christ. You know, if if you're being challenged, you know, to, to take the next step in, in your faith journey, whatever that means, then you have to remember that it's all based in your faith in Christ. And. If you need comfort from God's word, what greater comfort could we have than remembering that we are God's because of faith in Christ? Um, and, and so that's what I'm trying to do when I'm when I'm doing that. I, I want to give people low hanging fruit so that they leave there with something in this moment they can do that starts them on a trajectory toward responding in a godly way. That's awesome. I was taking notes and learning from that, which is one of my, one of my hosts for this podcast was, okay, what can I also learn? Um, yeah, that's, that's really good stuff. I actually heard somebody say in an article that oftentimes one of the reasons people leave the faith after college is because normal life is not like the pressure cooker of discipleship in college where you've got Bible studies and you've got, you know, like all of this stuff. And then like, then you become a, an adult and you've got a job and you've got, you know, family and you've got kids and like, you now have these super deep Bible studies with people that you hang out with every night and go on trips. And, and so like the normal part of discipleship is missing um, because normal discipleship is what is in really normal life. And that low hanging fruit is, I think that same idea you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I have found that if, if for nothing else, me preparing a prayer like that every week, it forces me to focus on landing the plane. Um, you know, so it forces me to, to really think through, okay, what is it that is, if you boil everything else away, if you're just condensing this sermon into this one little nugget, what's it going to be? And that, a lot of times what will happen is I'll work on my sermon. I'll have everything, uh, I'll have everything I think kind of packed up. I'll work on that prayer and then I'll go back and reword some things. I'll focus on some different things because it, it caused me to just, just change my perspective just a little bit so that um, hopefully, hopefully concluding the message and, and landing the plane is, is a little cleaner. It's, it's just, a, it's just a little simpler for people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I took notes cause I'm like, I think I can see that being an, a good way to serve the church. Um, and serve new people, serve unbelievers as another tool yeah. in the bag for, uh, I usually end a sermon in a different way. Um, 
but I, I can see either as a part of the sermon or as a part of a conclusion, that being a real blessing to help some people go, okay, what do I do with this practically? So, yeah. man, this has been, this is as much fun as the first week, probably more fun. So, <laughs> well, you know, I, I really had to, I really had to wrestle with the chicken or the, uh, the combative orangutan, but, um, you know, it is, it's, it's been a lot of fun and, yeah. uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I, I enjoy it. Uh, I know other people have told me they really enjoyed the kind of behind the scenes look and, uh, hopefully that can be a blessing to some people. So. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, you guys, for hey. listening. We will talk to you next week.